And now I'm going to pray over our pastor. (laughs) Abba Father, I lift up my big brother pastor to you. I pray that you would anoint his tongue as he speaks your word today. Your word that goes out and will not return to you empty, but will accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. May the words from Randy's mouth and the meditation of his heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, You can give that to the beautiful Jane. Okay. All right, let's stand up for a moment. Don't think you know what I'm doing. We're not going to do the meet and greet. I would like to ask, here you go, Sean. I would like to ask, uh, here you go, Sean. Um, If the Roatan team could come up, anyone who's going on the trip this coming Saturday to Roatan, come on up here, and I'll ask you to stand right up in front in a line. There are 20 of us. You, them, <laughs> come on up. Anyone else going? Right on up here in front. And then Jane and um, Adam, if you guys want to come, we're going to pray. So uh, we, I think, 20 people on the team going to uh, Roatan, Honduras, visiting our mission partners, John and Bev Atkins, on the island of Roatan. Um, when I thought about it, 20 people, I mean, it's like 10% of the people that come here on a Sunday are leaving this Saturday for uh, a mission trip. And that's awesome. So we want to pray for them, pray for their, their, their safety and, their, um, and the, you know, their ability to give away joy and peace in the name of Jesus. So if you want to put your hands out, we'll pray. Jane, do you want to start? God, thank you for this dynamic team, Lord, that you have chosen, each one of them, Father, to go on this team. And God, I thank you for the good works that you have planned for them to do over in Rotan. And God, I ask that you would fill them now that you would prepare. You would um, continue to prepare them for this time, that they would have a blast, Lord, and that you would protect them, Father, from anything that would want to come against them. Mm -hmm. Thank you, God. And would you just bless their time, Lord. I pray that they would come back stronger, more in love with you, and, Lord, just having bearing fruit. Father, in in addition, we pray that their presence would be so encouraging to John and Bev that uh, you would, through them, multiply the work that they are doing down there, uh, that there would not only be fruit among the people of Roatan, but within each person who's going, that they would see you move uh, in profound ways that uh, just have encounters with you, uh, stories that would encourage their faith going forward. In Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that you would send them with power, send them with peace, that you would send them with the filling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in all that they do and say to serve each person they see as they would serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys. Awesome. You can be seated. All right. Hi, everybody. Nice to see you this morning. Um, We are uh, continuing our series in James. Uh, We've got a long passage this morning, so let me just tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to read James 1, 5 to 18. And um, when I finish, I'm going to take about 30 seconds or so and just be quiet. Um, 
I think that one of the best things we can do when we're reading Scripture is to read the Scripture and then sit under it and let God have the first word. So I want God to have the first word uh, related to, to this message this morning. So I'll read the Scripture from uh, James chapter 1, 5 to 18. It'll also be on the screen, but you can open your Bible or device, and then we'll take some time to be quiet, and I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll talk about wisdom and circumstances and trials and temptations and gifts. Sermon shouldn't be more than about two hours. This is the word of God to us this morning, James chapter 1, 5 to 18. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom fails, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even when they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test... That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God, thank you for your word. I admit they're not easy words, but they're your words. And we ask that you would take this word and you would plant it deep in our hearts and that it would bear fruit. I ask God today that you'd open our eyes to see our, our lives, our circumstances, our trials and temptations, and even the gifts that we have from your perspective. Lord, that's my prayer this day. Open our eyes to see our lives from your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. If anyone got a message in the silence, you're welcome to come up and take over from me too. Ron? Okay. Uh, Adam did a great job. I I wasn't here last week, but I got to uh, listen to and read Adam's sermon. did a great job sort of bringing an intro to James. James is a call to maturity. And so I've titled the message this morning, Mature Perspective. James is one of those books that really, uh, it hits you hard. 
Um, it's a challenge to love God and, to, and others in practical ways. It might seem like when you're reading through James that James is kind of bouncing around from topic to topic. Do you know why that is? Because James is bouncing around from topic to topic. That's exactly what he's doing. It's more like Proverbs in that way or even Sermon on the Mount. You know, the way that Jesus would just go from topic to topic to say, here's what love on earth looks like in the power of God. Uh, the rest of the book after, so this morning, really the themes that we'll talk about this morning will be followed through in the book and we'll, we'll develop each of them in, in greater ways, in greater measure as we go through the series. The rest of the book shows us what does it look like for this person to live lacking nothing, complete and whole. What does maturity look like in the, in the believer's life? So today we're going to start and we're going to look at a mature perspective on wisdom, on circumstances, on trials, and on temptations, and on gifts. So I'm going to jump right in. A mature perspective on wisdom from James chapter 1. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must not believe. You must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. It's likely that this first uh, um, impetus to ask for wisdom is related to trials. And Adam talked about trials and having a perspective on trials, how to understand what's happening in your life when you're trusting that God's in control and hard stuff is happening. <clears throat> But the theme of wisdom will come back throughout the book. So it's not just about trials that James is saying, ask for wisdom. He's saying, ask for wisdom about how to live your life. Ask God, here's how I'm thinking about wisdom. Ask God for what do I do with what I have, what I know, and what I understand. God, here, here I am. I've, I, I, I've got this stuff. I've got these people. I've got these relationships. I've got uh, a certain understanding and knowledge. God, what do I do? How do I live this out? How do I walk in this life with wisdom from your perspective? James 3.13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Because wisdom isn't just knowing what's to do, what to do, it's also doing it. Wisdom results in righteous action. So that's why the book of James, starting here with, with wisdom, is going to get real fast to let's get to it. Let's do what God's called us to do. Let's not mess around. We all need God's perspective on our lives so that we can live in holy cooperation with God. And so we're just simply encouraged, ask God for wisdom. It's one of the reasons that I think a part of my ministry calling for years has not just been tell people what to think or teach people how to believe, but more practically, teach people how to go to God. I think a lot, of, a lot of our ministry as pastors is teach people how to pray because you don't want my wisdom. <laughs> you want God's wisdom. Now, sometimes I have God's wisdom, but what I want us to know is how do we go to God who has all wisdom? There's God calling right there. With wisdom from heaven, it could be. 
So I'm going to define wisdom, at least for the sake of this message today, as God's view of what to do with what I have, with what I know, and what I understand. There is a prerequisite for God to give his wisdom. It's interesting. It doesn't say obedience. I'm not suggesting disobedience in your prayers and ask for wisdom. But the one thing it says is, when you ask, you must believe that God will give it. What what James highlights here is faith when we're asking God for what he wants us to do. He just says, don't be double-minded. That word double-minded, it's almost, the picture is two souls. It's like, don't be this person and this person. Be one person before God. Even the person who said, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. At least he was one integrated person recognizing both aspects of this are in me. But he's saying, when you come to God and you ask him for wisdom, believe, choose to believe. Belief doesn't just come down upon you, right? Choose to believe that God will speak to you, that God will grant wisdom. Because God loves to joyfully and generously give wisdom to his children. And the Bible says that he gives um, in a generous way. He doesn't give with reproach. He God does not get upset with us because we don't know what to do with what we have and what we know, right? Oh, I'm being joined. Awesome. Welcome. It's, um, I don't, I'm not saying Jane and I have ever had a fight like this, but some spouses might have had out there where one says to the other, well, if you don't know what's wrong, I'm certainly not going to tell you. (laughs) Have you ever heard that one? Have you ever said that one? Okay, God's not like that. You see, God loves to give generously. God completely understands we don't know what we're doing half the time. And so he says, come to me and ask, and I'll give you wisdom. I won't give it in a way that I'm going to keep reminding you of your sin. I won't give it in a way that like, oh, you should know this by now. Do you, are you ever prevented from praying because you think to yourself, God probably thinks I ought to know this by now. Let's get rid of that one. God knows what we know. He knows what we don't. And he knows that sometimes we don't do what we're supposed to do with what we know. So we go to God and say, God, what do I do with what I have, with what I know, and with what I understand? Colossians 2, Paul is praying for the church in Colossae. And he says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, you know, when we come to God and say, God, I need wisdom, I need to know what what to do, in many ways we're just saying, God, I need Jesus all over again. I need all the wisdom and all the knowledge that Jesus brings and is, and I need that to be manifested in my life so I can walk obediently. You want wisdom, God's perspective on your life, what to do with what you have, know or understand. James just says, ask God. I'm going to slip from sermon into community notes for a minute because um, we're going to do this for a week in a couple of weeks here in the church. We're going to take a week of prayer and we're simply going to ask God for wisdom. Um, This idea started in an elder meeting about a month ago. We were thinking about this building and do we keep this building? Do we go somewhere else? You know, should we do a a campaign? And 
we did a survey and the elders and the staff feel like it's time to go. And honestly, the congregation is like, eh. I mean, uh, what the data says is we're happy. We, we love the church. Things are good. But we have this sense of it's time to plant and be good stewards of our finances. So, um, you know, the, the question of the elders is what should we do? And somebody's bright idea was, I know, let's pray. <laughs> so we decided that's what we would do. Knowing that James was coming up, we just decided we're going to take a week of prayer for wisdom. And so the week of October 24 to 28, that's a Monday through the Friday. All this will come out in the email and announced again. We're going to take a whole week to pray. We're going to have the building open between 5 a.m. and midnight. We'll have the prayer room sort of redecorated in wisdom mode. Every morning, Monday through Friday, we'll have a prayer meeting here in the sanctuary, 7 to 8. Anyone is welcome. Every evening, 7 to 9 p.m., we'll have worship-based prayer. So we'll have some music and some different interactive prayer. Uh, noon that week, Wednesday at noon, the staff invites you to come and pray with us in the sanctuary. So if you can make it here noon that Wednesday, uh, the last week of October, we'd love to have you. Because we want to ask God for wisdom. God, what do we do with what we have? with what we know and what we, un we understand. As a church, for the building, we want to ask for wisdom. We want you to ask for wisdom because I doubt there's a human in the building right now who doesn't need wisdom in some aspect of their lives. So it's not just prayer for the church and the building. It's God, give me personal wisdom. And maybe even right now, so you, you're prompted, you realize, oh, this is my time to press in, to ask God for wisdom about this area of my life. And then we want to pray for wisdom as a church. We want to do it corporately. We want to ask God, God, you've, you've given us these people and these resources, these gifts and these talents. It's like, like we're standing on a gold mine right here. God, what do we do with what you've given us, all this gold, so that we can walk out the vision that you've given to us faithfully? So we're going to do that. We're going to pray for, uh, for a week for wisdom. And uh, more info coming, but I wanted to give a big plug for that and let you know, rearrange your schedule, whatever you need to do. little different this time. We're not going to have sign-ups like we often do. We're just going to open the building and create the space for you to come in and interact with the God of all wisdom, to hear from God what it is that he's calling us and you to do. Make some sense? A little bit, a tiny bit of sense? Great. All right. We've finally covered the first point, this prayer for wisdom. Now, what does a mature perspective on circumstances look like? Verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom fails, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. What is he saying? I think what James is saying is don't let your circumstances define your perspective. Don't just look at your circumstances and let those circumstances tell you how to see. Let God's perspective illuminate your circumstances. It's not just a funny play of words. I think it's real life for the believer. 
we can look at our lives and say, here's why everything is bad, because I see this, 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 and this. Or we can look at our lives, our circumstances, and say, God, please show me how you see this. Because to me, it looks hard. It looks challenging. And I don't know why it's happening. And so we ask for God's perspective to illuminate our circumstances. Humble circumstances just means you don't have much poverty or a sense of lack. And so we ask, what is God's perspective? The reality is that for the, humble, the believer who's in humble circumstances, in the grand scheme of things, if they have Jesus, they have everything. That is not to say that we should, you know, long to live in lack. We went through Psalm 23 a few months ago, right? I'm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want The point is, I will have what I need. But let us not look at our circumstances and say, because I don't have a lot, therefore I'm not worth a lot. It's just the opposite. No matter where we are circumstantially, Jesus paid the price for your sin. That's how valuable you are. And if you have him, you have eternal foundation of love and unconditional acceptance. And the rich in this world, which is, let's just be honest, if you're in this room, you're rich. I mean that in the nicest way. In the world, relatively speaking, if you drove a car here, if you came from a house, if you ate this morning or planned to eat this afternoon, you're wealthy. And so he says, the rich in this world take joy when challenge comes, even humiliation knowing that it's not riches that secure our future, but God who makes us rich in Christ. And he's our security. So James is urging us to have God's perspective on our circumstances. Basically, whether we're flush or we're flailing, we have an eternal perspective. I remember when I was in college, I had a, a man who discipled me, and he, he always, he, every year he would give this message on having an eternal perspective. And the analogy he would always use is, you know, he says, imagine a dot here and imagine a line that goes in eternity. He said, your life is the dot and the line is eternity. Are you going to live for the dot or the line? Are you going to live for this moment and this 80, 90, 100 years? Or are you going to live for eternity? And what he was teaching us to do was to stand back and look at God's perspective of our lives. God, in, 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 the, in the realm of eternity... What, what's, what happens in this little dot matters. The choices I make with this little dot matter. Uh, a question I stole from Graham Cook, or who I don't know who Graham Cook stole it from, but so helpful for me through the years when I'm wondering, God, what's going on? Why is this challenging circumstance in my life? Let me just say, the last couple of weeks... I have spoken to many, many people in our body or connected with our body who are dealing with significantly challenging circumstances. Physical issues, financial issues, health, mental health, jobs, security, confusion. It's, it's, it's hard out there. It's hard out there. And I think uh, a great question, again, stolen from Graham Cook, is, God, what is it that you can teach me in this circumstance that you couldn't teach me if I wasn't in this circumstance. God, what are you doing here? And that's not to say we blame all of our circumstances on God, but God, what are you doing here? 
What in the midst of this challenge do you want to speak to me? It changes our perspective. When we start asking God for his view, it takes us out of self-pity. Not that any of us have ever been there in self-pity. I built a house there one time. But I've moved out. Favorite book of mine, The Practice of the Presence of God, written by a 17th century French monk, says this, We ought to give ourselves up to God with regard both to things temporal and spiritual and seek our satisfaction only in the fulfilling of his will, whether he lead us by suffering or consolation, for all would be equal to a soul truly resigned. That last line gets me every time. For all would be equal to a soul truly, desi- truly resigned. God, if, if we're trusting that God is all that we need, that we have what we need in him, in Christ, then no matter what's happening in our life, we can say, God, I have you, I have all that I need. And if you want to carry me with consolation, that's good stuff. Or desolation, that's bad stuff. Through this little dot, I know I'm going to be with you for the line of eternity. And that's what counts. God, let us see our circumstances from your perspective. On trials, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Adam covered trials perfectly and completely, I think. Yeah, last week. But there's one addition in this section. The result of perseverance under trial is the crown of life. If we can rejoice in the midst of trials because they have a purpose, I learned that from Adam, then we can rejoice knowing God's perspective on trials. We can persevere. And if we persevere, another purpose of trials comes clear and that is the crown of life. James says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. It's the same word that Jesus uses, you know, in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. James is saying, you are truly happy as a human, filled with joy when you've persevered under trial because the gift is life to you. I don't, I don't think he's talking about eternal life. I don't think he's talking about, you know, if you, if, if you screw up in a trial, then you're, you're not saved anymore. That's not the point. The point is that when we go through the trial and we hold fast and we keep our trust in God, God blesses us with an eternal kind of life, with life in God's power, with life with, uh, with, life with God's perspective. I don't think that this crown is a victory crown, like, hey, you're the winner, you're the best trialer-doer, trial-maker-thrower-perseverer. I think it's more like a pass-fail, personally. I think the one who perseveres is the one that doesn't give in. Sometimes we judge ourselves more harshly than God would judge us when we say, well, I made it through, but I didn't do a very good job. You made it through the trial. And sometimes we need our friends to say, yeah, it was a little ugly for a while there, (laughs) but you stuck in there. You did it. I find I say that to a lot of people that I'm speaking with. 
They come in, I'm not doing a good job. This is bad and this is bad. And I say, but you're showing up. You're here. You're in it. You haven't given up. You're persevering. And God's gift to you, a crown of life. We pray that God lets us see our trials in his perspective. Verse 13, temptation. Want me to skip that one? Tough. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I don't think James is telling us how to deal with temptation. I don't think the point of this is to, to dissect that. I think the point is that he says, when you deal with temptation, here's the main point. Don't blame God. I mean, it's just what he says. Just don't blame God. You're, you're struggling in life. You're struggling with whatever it is you're struggling with. Whatever the temptation is that, that the enemy puts in front of you. It can be tempting to say, God, if you wouldn't allow this, then I'd be fine. But it's your fault that I'm dealing with this. And James just says, bad attitude, wrong answer. Don't be looking outside for the source of your temptation. Be looking inside for the source of your temptation. Doesn't mean we rail on ourselves, but we open ourselves to God and say, God, what's happening in here? Psalm 139, God, search me and, 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 um, and see if there's any wicked way within me because I want it out because I want to obey. It's so easy to put um, the source of our troubles and problems and our, uh, our sin outside of ourselves. I think it was Larry Crabb a long time ago who said something like, when you think that the source of your problems is outside of you, that thought is the problem. In other words, when you're going around thinking, well, I would be this, this, and this if only it wasn't for them and them and God and that person. And, and Larry Crabb says, no, maybe you ought to look a little closer to home. God, what's going on in here that's causing me to walk into temptation and to say yes rather than no? Don't blame God. We pray that God lets us see our temptation from his perspective. And finally, good gifts. Verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James goes from don't blame God for the work of the enemy within us to don't give the enemy credit for God's good stuff. Don't give the enemy credit for God's good stuff. The good that comes to us comes from God. And I think what James is saying is remember the nature of God. Don't be tempted to think, well, I'm being tempted by God. No, <clears throat> on the contrary, all the stuff that is good all that comes to us in life that is true blessing comes from God. It's from the hand of God. God's good and he doesn't change. 
in spite of what it might feel like, God's not playing games with us. God's not hiding from us. God's not tempting, tempting us. God's not abandoning us. God is always present and fully present. And God likes to give good gifts to his children. Two more scriptures. Matthew 7. If you then, Jesus speaking here, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Similar passage, Luke's version is, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So James has taken us through the ringer, you know, circumstances and trials and temptations and all of this stuff, you need wisdom, you don't know what to do, you ask for wisdom. And the zinger at the end is this, remember, every good gift comes from God and he wants to give you more. He wants to give you more. Don't just recognize that gifts come from God, but don't be afraid to ask God for more. Um, Last quote here from... uh, I'm into monks these days, I guess. This is a Cistercian monk, Thomas Keating, died a few years ago. He says this, Every human pleasure is meant to be a stepping stone to knowing God better or to discovering some new aspect of God. Only when that stepping stone becomes an end in itself, that is, when we over-identify with it, does it distort the divine intention. Everything in the universe is meant to be a reminder of God's presence. I mean, this is not just stop and smell the roses. This is, do you realize that every good thing you see out there is intended by God to help your eyes go from earth to heaven, to help your eyes go from inward to outward, to expand your perspective so that we can walk in true wisdom to really know what it is that God has called and empowered us to do with what we have, with what we know, and with what we understand. Let's pray. If you want to stand, that would be great. And if I could have the ministry team come forward. God, we thank you. We thank you that you told us in your word to ask for wisdom. We thank you that you um, want to give us your perspective on our circumstances, on our trials, on our temptations, and certainly, God, on the gifts that you've given us in this life. And God, we're not afraid right now to ask for more. Would you give us more? Would you give us your eyes to see our lives? Would you give us that wisdom that we need to know what to do and faith to walk in obedience? Roatan team. So, um, Audra, if you could come up. Um, she's got one for specifically for the Roatan team, and then we have another one for everyone. So, I'm keeping the blanket. Um, hi, guys. Uh, okay, so I don't, 
Rotan. I recognize a couple of your faces. Um, so I just had a sense of, you know, when somebody's brewing a really good pot of coffee and it fills the house and, and that smell, like for those, for those people who love coffee, you know, you know, that really good coffee's coming. Right. And so they were talking about the good, um, the good works God has prepared for you to do ahead of time. And I just had a sense of like, the pot of coffee is already on and you could already smell it like like permeating the house and as you go to Roatan those good those good actions and um, the good encounters that he's prepared for you ahead of time you'll there's already a fragrance of them all around you and so you'll just be able to step into them and you'll just be drawn right to them like like a coffee lover to a great pot that's already been brewed this one's for everybody Okay, I had, um, <laughs> I don't usually do this, okay, uh, but I'm trying to just step out and um, trust God um, that what I have is from Him. So anyway, I've often, you know, God knows my heart and he's, uh, He knows that I've often felt like, okay, God, I kind of feel like a dead skin cell in the body of Christ. And so this morning, as I was getting ready for church, God reminded me that even dead skin cells grow, like your hair, that he gives life where there's death. So that's it. Yes, so if anybody identifies that with that, come forward, and um, we'd like to pray for you. like to come uh, forward for prayer for anything related to the message, your own physical needs, spiritual needs, or any of the words that were given, um, we invite you to do so. Otherwise, go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. Have a great day. Amen.